0: Telling the story of God through the lens or through the eyes of a tax collector, we know Matthew to be a tax collector, and he's telling his story. And uh, Matthew is the uh, uh, the book Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, but it's not the first one written. In fact, it's one of the last ones written and just placed in the beginning. We, if you know the story, uh, Malachi being the last book in the Old Testament, there are about 400 years between Malachi and Matthew where. Um, there's no uh, interaction between God and his people. There's no speaking through prophets. There's no um, uh, just. There's, there's nothing. There's silence going on and, and, um, until we get to chapter 3 of Matthew. And that's where we're going to be today. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to chapter 3. We spent last week um, looking at the genealogy that Matthew listed and how he was teaching and, and, and preaching the gospel through Jesus' genealogy. Um, chapter 2 of matthew is what we did during the advent uh, season so we told the story of uh, the christmas story of jesus's birth and, and the visit from the magi and so we're going to jump to chapter three um where all of a sudden god is going to speak again and so I, i'm not huge on message titles but sometimes i try to try to pull one in and i i was debating i had two Uh, one was return of the King and and the other one was the force awakens. And I don't know why I went back to those, but if you were last week, I, I shared how I just got done watching seven of those films over the break. And so it just, it was on my mind. And so when we go to Matthew chapter three, we're, we're 28 years later, um, from chapter one and two of Matthew and, uh, uh. What struck me as the reason why I feel like i 'm coming back to the Lord of the Rings or, or Star Wars is the same theme you had in both of those movies, right where you know we had uh, several years from uh, Return of the Jedi to when the Force awakens and it 's you know twenty some years however old Kilo reigns you say it? however old he is, yeah, so we have that many years between um, uh, Hansel looks great for his age in that movie but uh, and then you had, you had uh, the, the Lord of the Rings, right? Where, where we know the story goes to where the, the ring was, 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 was lost for like two and a half millennia, it says, you know, until it's found on the riverbed by some hobbit. Um, but this is, this is this idea of um, this message coming back that God is awakening and speaking to his people. So John the Baptist, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, I'm going to read this for you. It said, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, And saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all of Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Verse 7, but when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God will raise up children of Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 11, I will baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So God has not spoken to his people in over 400 years. And he sends this, this, this person, this, this someone to tell his story. He sends him with a specific message for a specific group of people. And this person and this message was very special. It was God, after all this time, speaking again. So today I want to look at the messenger of the story. I want to look at who the message was for. Who was in the crowd that day or during that time? Who was John speaking to? And then I want to look at what the message was and and how we should respond to that message. So first we're going to start with, with the messenger. Question for you guys, right? If you could pick anyone, anyone at all to narrate your life story, who would you choose? Let's say we're making this biographical movie, right, of your life. Who would you want narrating it? For me, uh, it, was, it was a toss-up between you know, Morgan Freeman or, or Paul Rubens. And I wasn't sure yet who I want that. But for you, who would you have narrate your story? Take a minute, talk to each other, and then we'll come back. Okay, uh, who'd you pick? Who who are some of your choices? Tina Fey. Fey. Uh, Who else? Hold on, what? Samuel L. Jackson, yeah. James Earl Jones. Jones. Who? Boonauer, yeah. yeah. Ellen DeGeneres, DeGeneres. right. Anyone else? Did you guys uh, figure out who Paul Rubin was? Pee Wee Herman. I figured if he told my story, he'd like sing during different parts of it too. So I, that's why I thought he'd be, he'd be pretty funny. So Jesus is going to choose Matthew to tell this story, this, this story through the eyes of a tax collector. Um, back to verse 1, it said, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. So we don't know a lot about John the Baptist from Matthew, um, he doesn't give us a lot of background to it. So for that, we have to turn to Luke. So if you have your Bible again, turn to Luke chapter, uh, chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. John, uh, Luke's going to give us a little bit of a background to uh, who John the Baptist is. Let me read this, starting in verse 5. It says, In the time of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and degrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as priest before God. He was chosen by Lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time of the burning of the incense came, he assembled worshipers, uh, all the assembled worshipers were outside praying. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing in the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been answered. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, which is where the Baptist part of his name came in. And then he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even before he was born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go over. Uh, he will go on before the Lord in the spirit of the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the kingdom of righteousness, to make ready the people prepared for the Lord. So John is uh, somehow related to Jesus in this. Uh, um, uh, but we hear um, earlier that he, he's a little bit different, right? We heard about how he dressed and what he ate. And so this is kind of like this crazy cousin of, of Jesus. You know, you think Hills of, of um, you know, and he, he's the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And he was sent as a messenger for God to prepare a way for the king. And so back in that day when the army would take over a city or enter into a land on the day of conquered... They would send a person uh, before to prepare the road, right, to remove any obstacles or things that were in the way. They often would build new roads or they would widen old roads. This was for the king's grand entrance into the city. You think today, similar to a a parade route, right, where where we're we're figuring out what path we're going to take and make sure that the proper roads are closed so that the king may enter. Well, John's job was to come and tell the people to get ready. He was like, are there things in your life? Are there obstacles in the way of Jesus coming? Because the kingdom of God is near. Prepare your heart. And we'll get more into his message in just a few minutes. But it's believed that about 29 AD, John comes running out of the woods with his message. How do we know that date? Again, we look at uh, Luke's gospel. We said that there are three synoptic, synoptic gospels Sorry, um, that tell the story kind of similarly that Matthew, Mark, and Luke kind of have the same story, the same outline in their thing. And so some give more details than the others. But in Luke chapter 3, verse 1 says this. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, the tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, um, uh, Linnaeus uh, was of Albuin during the high priesthood of Ananias and Sophias. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And so, what Luke is doing here is he's kind of setting some things out, some dates of things that are going on, so we can have this exact point of when, when John comes out. Um, if you have multiple kids, you kind of understand this, right? If you were to ask me, questions I uh to remember when something happened usually I identify it by what stage of life my kids were in right so if someone said hey when'd you move here I'd be like well Rio and Cannon were both in diapers and so we're gonna guess about this time of life or like when when, when what were you doing this summer and I'd be like well we know Cannon was potty trained because of what he did in the yard and so we know that this is the time of the, you know the, when it happened so that's what Luke is doing Luke is giving these pinpoints to kind of um let us identify when John starts his ministry uh, um and then verse four back into Matthew where we started it says this Matthew 3 verse 4 John's Clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from um, Jerusalem and all Judea in the whole region of the Jordan. Why was this significant? Why would Matthew have to put this in here? What, what was it uh, important that we, we knew how he dressed or what he ate? Well, for Matthew, you know that he set out to prove that this was the king that the people were waiting for. And the Old Testament spoke of this man who would come... Uh, that would come right before Jesus and he would prepare the way, and he would come in the form of elijah and so in second kings um, we can if you want to turn there second kings chapter one, verse seven and eight, we have a, a description of Elijah. It says the king asked him, what kind of man was it that came to meet you and told you this? They replied he had a garment of hair." And he had a leather belt around his waist. And so that kind of fits this uniform that, that John's wearing. Well, what about his diet? This, this locust and honey, where is that from? If you turn to 1 Kings. Chapter 17, verse, verse 1. It says, Elijah the Tishbite from, um, uh, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I served, there will be neither dew or rain in the next few years except for my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward and hide. Uh, in, the, in the Kirth ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So we learn from there that he, uh, it goes on to say the ravens brought him bread and uh, meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. So he had this uh, ate from nature. Like He was out there in the wild, and, and God provided for him. So similar to what John was doing. And then Malachi 3, chapter 1. I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 1. It says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. And so you have these three points in the Old Testament that are kind of describing this person that would come that would look similar or be in the spirit of Elijah. And so that's where we find the description of of John the Baptist in Matthew. Because again, Matthew set out to prove that this was the king you were expecting. And it would be significant if John were the Elijah that you were also expecting. So these things were important pieces of the story in Matthew if he was going to prove that Jesus was the Messiah. Uh, a little more about John the Baptist. We know that he was a very successful preacher. In Mark chapter 1, it talks about how all of Judea would come out to him. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, it talks about Jesus saying that there is no one greater than that has come from woman than this, than this man, John the Baptist. And then in Acts 19 This is 25 years after uh, after John had already died. Paul runs into a small group of men who were believers only to the extent of what John taught. And so 25 years later, after his death, John still had believers following him. And so John the Baptist was very well liked. His message, not so much, but he was well received. So what was his message? What was John trying to communicate to people? Verse 2 in Matthew said, Repent. For the kingdom of God is near. Have you ever tried to convince uh, anyone uh, of something, give them some advice, and they just kind of wave you off, right? You know, you saw them headed down a road that you knew wasn't going to end good. And no matter how many times you you told them, they refused to listen. Anyone ever have a moment like that? Watch this uh, video clip. Wants to race. Don't oh. race. That's ridiculous. Alright, come on. Let's go. Let's go. Put your window down. He wants something. Uh, he's probably drunk. You're going the wrong way! What? You're going the wrong way! He says we're going the wrong way! Oh, he's drunk! How would he know where we're going? yeah how would he know thank you thanks a lot terrific thank you (laughs) what a moron you're going in the wrong direction you're going to kill somebody John had a message for a crowd who had heard the same message a thousand times, right? A message that had been rejected by the same group of listeners for a long time. His message was that of of hellfire and brimstone in this method of using judgment and eternal damnation to invoke a response of repentance. How many of you grew up with that style? Yeah? Yeah. John was that guy running out of the wilderness saying, you're going the wrong way. You're going the wrong direction. You're going to kill somebody, right? He was just a little more Southern Baptist. So it was turn or burn, right? Or eternity, smoking or non-smoking. What do you want, right? But his message represented the holiness and the law of God, the wrath of God. And I'm very grateful that his word was not the last word, that Jesus had something different to say. But unfortunately, the church today tends to lean so far away from this type of message that we miss hearing Jesus in his message properly. We ignore John's warning. And we end up turning God into this passive, loving you no matter what you do. And in that, we reduce the message of Christ when John's message is removed. We need to hear John so that we can hear Jesus. And in verse 2, John says, repent, the kingdom is near. He says, wake up, guys, it's, it's near, here comes the kingdom. Guys, this is it, this is the king and the kingdom you've been waiting for. It has arrived, it's breaking in. So turn your life around. You're not living the life you're supposed to be living. You're not, uh, you're, in fact, you're living the opposite. And John's message was one of repentance. God is coming, and you need to be ready. And in this moment, John is not specific on what sin. Instead, he leaves it up for their interpretation, right? But it would suggest that the listeners knew what he was talking about. Because, again, this is a message that they had heard before, and they rejected it before. But for you and I, when we hear someone say, repent, what do we think about? I bet uh, that there's something that you're involved in that comes to mind. It could be a, a deeper issue that the Holy Spirit is revealing to you. And although many of us cringe at that because of a bad past church experiences, it doesn't mean we ignore the warning from John. But what does it mean to, to repent? Well, repent means to recognize, to recognize that you need a God. God. That God, I've been doing this on my own. I've not listened to your word. I've not followed your commandments. I need to repent. John was reinforcing the covenant that people had made with God, the, the Ten Commandments. These were supposed to be the people of God and John is calling the people of God back into holiness. And John's job was to prepare the people for Jesus' coming. Well, who was the message for? Who was in the crowd? Verse 7. It says, But when he saw many, many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warn you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can, rise, uh, can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that has not produced good, good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. We know from our study that Matthew was writing to the Jewish people. Well, John's audience is the same. These were the Jews, not the Gentiles. But I want to reference two types of people that were in his crowd that he mentioned in verse 7. First is the the Pharisee. These were the keepers of the law. And from the Hebrew word meaning to separate or, or to detach. Well, whom did they separate from? Well, they separated from people who interpreted the law differently than them. People who interpreted scripture differently from them. Especially priests and clergy. They separated themselves from the common people of the land. ...from certain political groups... Uh, ...anyone who embraced parts of culture... ...so like thought or music or theater... ...things like that. They were considered the most accurate interpreters of the law... ...by themselves... ...but they emerged from the exile... ...as the dominant faction... ...because they were the ones who correctly connected... ...Israel's rejection of the law... ...with the exile. And so in their zeal... ...to not go back into exile... To, to not be punished again, to escape being punished, they began to build fences around the law to keep people from even getting close to any behavior that would possibly cast Israel back into exile. They, would, they overreact to this moment. They added oral tradition that, that was passed down. For me growing up, this is kind of the, 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 the church or the home life we had. You know, we weren't allowed to see any R-rated movies because it might lead to something or no heavy metal or, or rap music, right? We, we, we boycotted Disney because of their ties in the culture. That's what it was. These were the lay people in the church, the conservatives, the Bible believers, the keepers of the law. They were overly concerned with questions like, is it true? Is it right? Are you keeping the law? Do you know the scriptures? They were great questions. They were good people. Their hearts were in the right place. But for them, the law became an idol. And nobody wants to hear the truth. But for some, the Bible can become an idol. Then there was the Sadducees. These were the group who were a little more affluent than the Pharisees. Um, They were more sympathetic towards the culture. Which gave them greater influence in Greek and in Rome. Uh, They they looked at the Pentateuch, which was the first five books of the Bible, as the the, the scripture that they followed. They did not believe in the resurrection or in angels or or spirits, which kind of went against Jesus' message. They were the professional clergy at the time. They were very philosophical. Um, They were motivated to reach culture. And so what works or what's relevant was of a great importance to them. Those were the questions they were asking. They rejected the old, uh, the oral tradition from the Pharisees, the extra biblical things that the Pharisees would add, the laws that were outside of Scripture. But here's the thing. Both groups were good Jewish people trying to follow Yahweh. They both believed that they had their heart in the right place. And John focuses his, the flame of his fire message on the ones who were trying to follow God. See, these groups are are not much different from the liberals and conservatives that we have in the church today. You and I, church people, believers, both believe Jesus, if he were here today, would be in our camp, right? But scripture tells us that these two groups of people were the biggest threat to the kingdom. And John's message to both groups is, you need to repent. John preaches strong to the believers. So you and I, we need to hear John. These believers who, who wanted to be separate from other believers. They wanted to disassociate themselves from, with, with other branches or streams of faith. Where they could get together. You know, and they could be right together. And they could do things right together. Because they're not like the other worshippers of Yahweh. These groups were the radical middle. And their middle was the right middle. Because we all think that we're in that place. These were also the religious leaders of the day. So this message needs to be heard by me. Our elders need to hear this. John was speaking against the thought process that just because you were given a title or a role to play in church that you're in, well, that's not gonna fly. You will burn or you will be cut down if you don't repent. So all in all, this was a very welcoming message to them, right? You know, John's fire message. But to be honest, this was a very unwelcoming message to these two groups. There was nothing more offensive to the religious elite than to tell them that they needed to repent and be baptized. This would have been a very humbling act for a Jew because it implied that they must undergo what the pagans had to undergo to enter into Judaism. That to enter into a relationship with God, they would have to do it the same way the Gentile did it. And they're like, no way. But it tells us that people from all of Judea and the surrounding area of the Jordan River went to him, confessed their sins, were baptized. And so what should our response be to this message? 2,000 years later, the same that it was then. Repent. Recognize your need for a savior. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Repentance. You and I must have a repentful heart and confess our sins and to love one another. You see, if John were to show up today, we would probably think that he's some crazy homeless guy, right? He's coming to our church and he's telling us to get saved. Dude, I'm already a Christian. Take your message somewhere else, right? I'm saved. I don't need to repent. For the Jews in Matthew's gospel... Nothing more offensive than being told to repent, to be baptized. Only the Gentiles were baptized in. We're Jews. We're grafted in. This is our birthright. We're already in, man. But John knew his audience. He knew he wasn't preaching to a bunch of pagans. He was talking to those Jews, to the religious elite, to the believers. This is the king. Repent, of your ways. Quit thinking that the law will save you. Quit thinking that your church has got it right or that your religious elitism will save you. You're not living right and you're not loving right. You spend all your life studying God instead of loving Him. For us today, too many Christians spend far too many years studying Jesus' life without ever living it. John's message was to the people who think that they're at the the center of God's will and where it should be. He says, turn your heart around or you will miss the kingdom. Because it's coming. Embrace the kingdom or be burnt by it. And it's coming not because you said it is or or made it come. So quit being arrogant and prideful, saying things like, well, we got Abraham or, or our church does it right. John says, God will make this church out of the rocks if He wanted to. It's for us. We can't bank on anything less than a broken heart and a contrite spirit needing redemption. But I, but I prayed a prayer when I was nine, man. You, you can't look at my heart now. You can't look at my life or my, the choices that I'm making. I'm already in. Or because I'm not with those Christians anymore. I'm with the right type of Christians now. I'm with a, a different church now. We're at the center of perfection. So bring on Jesus. He, he will see us and, and, and approve us. Instead, John points his finger at all of us. and says, God can create his people out of a rock. He does not need us in the way we think he needs us. So don't, don't bank it on that you're believing that you're right And that's the difference between wanting control or wanting truth. So what are you needing to repent of? What are you trusting in? What are you resting in? What are you hoping in? Verse 11 says, I will baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. We will all sit before judgment. How you live your life will matter. You see, we don't like the wrath of God, but the wrath proves his love. It doesn't reduce it. John's message was not the last message, but his message prepares us for Jesus. And we have to hear John or we can't hear Jesus. You and I need to repent. We need a radical recognition of God. When we recognize our sin, we always try to to work harder, right? We're like, maybe I can fix it. Or I could could just stop doing that or or start doing this. And when Jesus shows up, uh, I can show them that I have it all together now. The law is there to remind us that we need a God. Not, Not the law. The law doesn't save us. So don't try to fix it. Don't try to hide it. Just admit it. Your soul must awake and prepare for God's kingdom. Admit your life is not together. Because if we focus on the law, we will miss out on seeing Jesus. I'm going to invite the band to to join me on stage. We're going to close, we're going to take communion together. Share a story out of Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. The tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. John calls for us to admit our sin, to find ourselves aware of God and ready for a Savior. Are you ready? Are you prepared? Are you willing to make a change? Are you trusting in anything less than this honest confession of a sinful person who needs a Savior? And these are tough words. These are hard scriptures. in a culture where the church looks out the stained glass window at the tax collector and says, Well, at least I'm not like him. I love the law. I obey the law. Will not save you. You must recognize your healing in Jesus. See, John was the embodiment of the law, Jesus was the embodiment of the gospel. John prepares us for the wrath of God. Jesus comes in the form of grace. come to these tables up front to my left and to my right I want you to come as a repenting contrite sinner remorseful, repentful hearing John's message admitting your sin no longer hiding receive not an axe, but a grace Jesus I invite you to stand and pray with me God in these next few moments Speak to our hearts individually. God, there's things that we need to repent of, whether it's sin, whether it's just uh, not recognizing you and and the need for you, trying to do it all on our own. We repent for that. God, hear us. Break our hearts. May we understand the gravity of John's message so that we can accept the message of grace that comes Body being broken on our cross for our sins. That if we believe and trust in you, we can spend eternity with you. That our sins are forgiven. That we are made whole. That our relationship with God has now been restored.